chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and this is the last episode of the podcast that we will record in which at least one of the co-hosts has not received a COVID vaccine. Uh, I am going to get my jab, as the Brits say, on Friday, my first one. Uh, I have to be honest, honestly, I really cannot wait. Uh, I'm incredibly looking forward to eventually returning to some kind of normalcy, whatever the hell that is. Um, I know that you've received, I think, both your shots now, right? Yes. So tell me, what's, what is life like on the other side? What do I have to look forward to? Is it just an unending parade of cuddle parties? <laughs> like, 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 what is... What's going on in your world these days? Is is that what you wanted to be? Parade <laughs> of cuddle know. parties? I, I wouldn't have gotten enjoyed that beforehand, but I don't know. Right. Who knows? Right. It's we, different. We, we've all missed uh, forms of human contact to one degree yeah. or another. If cuddle parties are your thing now, hey, dig in. Hey, whatever. Um, right. No, but it, it's great. I am living large, just uh, walking the streets, spitting on people without a care in the world. Nice. Uh, yes. Nice. Um, no, seriously, though, it, ha- it has provided a quality of life upgrade, no doubt. Uh, my wife and I went out to dinner on Saturday night with two friends of ours, all four of us fully vaccinated. And it was the first time I ate indoors at a restaurant in over a year. Mm -hmm. And you feel comfortable doing so, you know, based on everything the experts are saying, the chance of a vaccinated person carrying the virus and then passing it to another vaccinated person is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent. And on top of that, the chances of severe illness, if you do get the virus once vaccinated, are so dramatically reduced. So, yeah, I've been able to relax and enjoy myself. You you don't want to totally let your guard down and like, seek out people who have the virus and ask them to French kiss you. I haven't engaged in right. that, um, but... Uh, licking buses or anything right. like that. No bus licking. Um, okay. But yes. and, and, and you still want to wear the mask indoors around strangers yep. for now, partially out of courtesy. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm pretty close to having my old life back and uh, I am happy to hear you'll be joining the club soon. I highly recommend the vaccinated experience. Trust the scientists and not the yes. conspiracy theorists. Protect yourself and the people around you. And thus concludes my PSA. Right. And, and we're not entirely ruling out the cuddle party experience. <laughs> um, all right. If, 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 my not, invita- if my invitation to your cuddle party gets lost in the mail, so be it. Yes, there you go. Exactly. That will be the excuse. Lost in the mail. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, this week on the show, there's the usual assortment of fights to preview and review, including a predictable result for Demetrius Andrade and a not so predictable result for Tony Harrison. Uh, we will also have Eric's top five countdown of his dream fights. That didn't happen. But the main focus this week is on the slew of announcements coming out of the Showtime boxing department. Uh, in just a few minutes, we will have the boss, Stephen Espinoza, on, and he's going to give us his insider perspective on it all. But first, let's run down 
all of the details and that's quite a lot to run down eric indeed uh on thursday showtime announced nine fight cards across five months from may through september and not confined to the fight sphere at mohegan sun these cards will be taking place at various venues yet to be announced in front of fans as permitted by the different jurisdictions but enough about the peripheral details Let's talk about the fights. Uh, it starts with two cards in May. Uh, on May 15th, a fascinating 122-pound showdown between Luis Neri and Brandon Figueroa. And on the undercard, same weight class, Danny Roman versus Ricardo Espinoza Franco. And at 130 pounds, Xavier Martinez versus Abraham Montoya. Then two weeks later, on May 29th, rescheduled from late last year, Nonito Denaire meets Nordine Ubali in a Bantamweight 12-rounder. And on the undercard, 140-pounders, Subriel Matias versus Batirzan Jukambayev. And moving on to June and July, huge summer action. Uh, both Charlo's twins are fighting, uh, plus a major Showtime pay-per-view event. On June 19th, Jamal Charlo, he's the undefeated middleweight brother, for those of you still struggling to keep him straight. Uh, he faces Juan Macias Montiel. Uh, the following Saturday, June 26th, on Showtime pay-per-view, Javante uh, Tank Davis challenges himself with a leap up to 140 pounds to face undefeated Mario Barrios with an outstanding 154-pound co-feature, Erickson Lubin, against Jason Rosario, and two more fights to be announced. Uh, then on July 3rd, Chris Colbert and Yuriorkis Gamboa will provide early 4th of July fireworks. And on July 17th, the other Charlo twin, Jamel, faces Brian Castanio for all the marbles at 154 pounds. All four major alphabet belts getting unified in that one. Yeah, and, and after all that, still three more cards on the docket. Uh, August 14th, a bantamweight title fight between Guillermo Rigondeau and John Riel Casimero. August 28th, 168-pound action. David Benavidez puts his perfect record on the line against Jose Uzcategui. And on September 11th, uh, a welcome distraction from 20th anniversary remembrances of a dark day, uh, a fight card headlined by Stephen Coolboy Steph Fulton. He will be a very interested observer of that May 15th Neri Figueroa fight that kicks this all off because he takes on the winner on the 11th of September. Some degree of supremacy in the ridiculously hot 122-pound division will be on the line there. So lots of big names in there, Tank Davis, the Charlos, the Nito Donaire. Uh, but if big names are your thing, Showtime has decided to add Leonard Duran, Hagler and Hearns into the mix. Uh, on June 6th, a four-part documentary series, The Kings, premieres, looking back on the incredible welterweight to middleweight rivalries of the 80s, airing every Sunday night uh, in June. Uh, we have all sorts of special coverage in the works here on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, so stay tuned for details. Uh, but with that, let's turn to the man who has pulled all these threads together, the president of Showtime Sports, Stephen Espinosa. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and it's a special pleasure to welcome you when you have a fact schedule like this to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this has been uh, a lot of time and energy, so um. um... Uh, I'm I'm pleased by the reaction to it. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, there are a lot of people who put a lot of work into it, but um, this one was was difficult for sure. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that that time and energy, you have these nine boxing cards you just announced. You also have the nonstop Bellator action uh, on the network. When, when is the last time you slept? <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, apparently now my life is, or at least every weekend is, is consumed by people punching each other in the face in some form or another. Right. Um, 
which which has been the case in, in uh, you know in the past, but now um, between roughly twenty boxing shows and another twenty to twenty four uh, Bellator shows, um, you know that's you know three out of four weekends uh, every every month. Um, there's combat sports on, so it's uh, it, it has been a busy time. Yeah, um, and, and I know Showtime likes dropping these big multi-fight announcements when you can. Some of the individual fights did leak out along the way. How tough was it for you to, to get this schedule done, and how important was it for you to be able to unveil it in this grand manner? I mean, we, we, we've talked about this. I mean, the three of us have talked about this before. I mean, we would love in an ideal world... Um, you know, for everyone to be able to keep their mouth shut. But, <laughs> you know, when you get this many fights, you know, and there, there are managers and trainers and, and fighters and even sparring partners and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it'll never stay quiet. So, yes, I mean, we'd love to take people completely by surprise and just blindside everybody with this, but uh, it, it's, it's not, not possible. Um, but, but here, um, you know, part of it is is just you know it's the the sheer number um, uh, of of fights that need to be made at once, um, getting everybody to sign off, getting sanctioning bodies you know where necessary to sign off, um, to approve, to you know give exceptions, uh, then matching these up with venues and dates, and you know thinking about things like. You know, other pay-per-view events, the Olympics later this summer, the NBA finals, all the other things which would be counter-programming, um, it's, it's a lot of moving pieces. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, I, I think it's absolutely worth the effort. Um, I, I think it's, it's necessary uh, for the sport. I obviously think it's a, a positive thing, uh, and otherwise we wouldn't keep, keep doing it, um, but it really you know, I, I really wish that we'd see more of this across the sport. I think, you know, not having this level of organization and sort of predictability and, and connection with the fights, um, you know, I think it diminishes the sport overall. Um, and the only, there's nothing magical about this. I mean, with the same investment of time and energy, there are other groups that could do a similar thing. And I think it would give the fans a much needed, sort of ability to look ahead and and anticipate what's going on in the sport yeah I, I mean, probably, I mean, there's a lot of very good fights in here, but probably the crown jewel of the schedule is that June 26th pay-per-view. And um, both guys in that main event really, really putting a lot on the line here. And what, where did the idea of Javante jumping all the way up to 140 come from? Was, was that something that he came up with? You, PBC, all you guys working together as you try to find an opponent for him? Um, it, it really came out of necessity because there, there are a couple weight classes, um, you know, 135 is one, um, 160 is another, where the, the talent, unfortunately, is, is, sort of, uh, is sort of spread out across different platforms. And that's where, you know, some of the boxing politics um, get in the way of, of making the, the, the big matchups in those divisions. So without the ability right now to to get to a, a Ryan Garcia or a Devin Haney or, or even a Lomachenko for tank there. Uh, we, we needed to fight immediately. I mean, those kind of efforts will continue to go on, but we couldn't wait endlessly for that to happen. Um, and it was, it was really, you know, tanks idea. Um, 
and only time will tell if it's a, a good idea. Um, I, I think uh, Mario Barrios is certainly a legitimate 140 pounder, a very good 140 pounder, um, and a guy who's been considering going to 147. So it's not like he's even a small 140 pounder or a short 140 pounder. He's a relatively tall, um, you know, relatively strong guy at 140, a, a very credible, legitimate 140 pounder. Um, and Tank's got his work cut out for him. But I think rather than take a another fight um, that is just sort of a you know treading water fight, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, I I congratulate him for you know wanting to challenge himself, even if this may turn out to be you know a, a little bit of a hill that's too steep to climb. So should I infer from that that it isn't an idea necessarily to have him at 140? long term or is that a question i should ask you on june 27th <laughs> um well yeah that's that's right depending on how he looks at you it may change it but i think um i, I think the the general agreement is that tank's best weight is 135 mm-hmm. um you know that's what i've heard from mayweather heard from tank and his his team and and pbc but you know the the reality is you know Really, it's it's the height that's the bigger bigger yeah. issue. Once you start getting to 140, you've got guys that are a lot taller than, and yeah. Tank is just, you know, he's he's sort of stocky and, and built really a, a lot better for 135 than 140. Yeah. Right. So if there's one fight on this new schedule that's taking some criticism, um, and honestly, uh, that's a that's a pretty good batting average if if there's only one out of thirteen. But no, understandable. Uh, yep. But uh, Jamal Charlo versus Montiel got a low grade from uh, our friend Dan Raphael. It does look like a bit of a mismatch on paper. But you made up for it with Jermel against Castaño. That might be my favorite fight of the whole slate. Uh, how hard or easy was that unification fight to get done? And, and how do you respond to criticism of Jermel's matchup? You no, know, in terms of Jamal, look, we, you know, he had his, his career-defining fight last fall and a great performance in that against, you know, um, one of the best guys in the division. And we would love to follow it up with, you know, another high-level fight. But you know, as I mentioned, 160 is one of those divisions where um, it's almost star-crossed. It's not, you know, it's hard to really blame it even on platforms uh, because you've got Golovkin, Andre, and, and, and Canelo all at the same platform, and somehow they really haven't been able to get those guys to fight each other mm-hmm. regardless. So, you know, what are the chances of us being able to make that fight when we're not on the same platform? And you know, you begin to see it. And it's not for lack of trying. Obviously, we've, we've made the offers and we made the offer to Andre uh, when he wasn't, uh, you know, when, when he had an opening before he had re-signed. So, yeah, you know, I, I think anything was going to be a letdown um, other than one of those top fights of the divisions because, I mean, the other thing at, at 160 is it's a little bit top-heavy. Um, there are some very good fighters at the top but it's not a particularly deep division. So once uh, you know, once you get outside those the top five, six, seven guys, then you know we knew that there there was going to be disappointment there, and and we'll see. Maybe that is ultimately the catalyst for Jamal going to 168. You know that's a that's a decision for him to make. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of Jamal, though, that fight was. Um, was relatively easy to make. Um, 
and you know there was some step aside considerations and some sanctioning body considerations that that had to be addressed but that went pretty quickly um and i do think that'll get that fight will get a lot of attention because it's the undisputed title and the first one or first four belt undisputed um but I also think that it probably in some ways will be underestimated. Um, Castaño is not a household name. And I think a lot of people will, will probably overlook him and, and they shouldn't. He is a, a tough guy. He hasn't had an easy road to get to where he is. Um, he's, he's stocky. He's gritty. Um, he's the kind of guy, kind of pressure fighter and tough, gritty pressure fighter that at times has given Jamel problems in the past. So, even though boxing fans may not know Castaño as a household name, that that is not an easy fight for Jamel at all. Yeah. One division where there is a ton of talent, a lot of it young talent, um, which Showtime, if it doesn't quite have it cornered, has a lot of the talent, and that's 122 pounds. And, and we've got plenty of great fights uh, in that division on their schedule. Uh, you kick off with Neri Figueroa, you've got Danny Roman on that card, and then you've got Stephen Fulton against the Neri Figueroa winner at, at the end. Do you see this division having the potential to you know, cross over beyond the hardcore fans and get some mainstream attention through this series of fights? I, I think so, because, I, you know, I think this is a division that where we can continue to, um, you know, to match these guys up into different combinations and I think get good fights. I mean, you know, a guy who's not on the schedule um, who, and, and who has a claim to be as good as any of them is Raiz Ali. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we haven't even put he will be on the schedule shortly. Uh, but, you know, there are, there are more names and there are, you know, guys from 118 who could conceivably move up uh, as well. But, you know, you, you, you hit on one thing. I think one thing that we are proud of here, and I think it's interesting note, if you look at this, you know, the list of, of all these fights, and then uh, think where a lot of these guys were 12 to 18 months ago, um, a lot of these guys were not on the radar, you know, to become, I mean, Subrio Matias was not, you know, really not on the radar, uh, you know, a year ago. Certainly the, the 122 pounders or a lot of them, certainly Luis Neri has been at the top level for a while, but Stephen Fulton, um, Brandon Figueroa, um, you know, not, not really, you know, certainly they were known, but not at the top tier. Uh, Casimero was only known to hardcores, you know, and we're just, starting to figure out how entertaining he is. Chris Colbert, another one. So, uh, you know, we as boxing fans, we love to sort of uh, focus on the next thing and discover new young fighters. I I think that's one of the things that we're proud of with this is there are a lot of guys that really weren't in the conversation or certainly weren't in the conversation to be, you know, headline fighters or co-feature fighters even, you know, a year to 18 months ago. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ray Salim because we had him on the podcast last week. He was fantastic. A great interview. Uh, I mean, we're big fans. And, and with this division, with a lot of these guys, you've got guys like him and, and Fulton and Figueroa. They're not just good in the ring. They know what it takes to sell themselves too, right? They're very right. good on the mic. Yep. They're very good on camera. That helps, doesn't it? CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my soul. I'm 
a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+. Plus, and for the first time ever... I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Yeah, it, 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 it does, and it... Um, it really helps, you know, when breaking a division, you know, this, like I said, you know, Neri was, was probably the most well-known fighter when we undertook this, um, you know, but again, a year ago, certainly 18 months ago, um, there weren't people talking much about Stephen Fulton or Angelo Leo or Aline. Certainly the hardcore fans were the very knowledgeable ones, um, but it was a conscious decision to start focusing on this division and a, a combination of, uh, PBC and, and, and Tom Brown signing uh, some key signs and then a conscious decision by all of us to sort of focus in developing this division. So th- this is one where, um, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but, you know, we sort of, you know, created over the last year. I mean, it goes to show you that uh, as much as we, we think we know everything, look, there are some underexposed division, underexposed fighters. And this is one where we th- thought there was a wealth of talent that wasn't getting the attention they deserve. And, um, you know, and here we are a year later, we're on, you know, on, on the verge of something maybe pretty special with our ability to, to match this, this deep pool of really talented fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one of the, uh, the the key drivers in getting those guys out there, one of the key tools that you had uh, at your disposal has been Showbox, uh, that a lot of these guys made their bones there and got a little exposure that way. Are there also Showbox dates to be added to, to the, the schedule these next few months? Yeah, there there are. Um, and Showbox has been a particular challenge um, because, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, every show is a, uh, is more expensive nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. You you layer in you know COVID testing, not just for the fighters but for the production personnel. You've got to bring people in a day or two earlier so they can test and quarantine and all of those things. So each championship show is more expensive um, because you add all of those those things. That means that you know we can do fewer of them and you know, a show like Showbox, which has always been, um, you know, uh, the, the cost effectiveness of it has always been a, a key element. And, you know, without that, you know, you, you've gone from Showbox being a very cost effective show to all of a sudden it being a lot more expensive right. when you add in all the COVID stuff. So that's why we've seen a little bit lower volume uh, of Showbox um, because it's just uh, not quite as easy to start from scratch. That's why we've sort of piggybacked off the championship shows. Right. right. Um, you know, to piggyback off the testing and some of the personnel and make it cost effective again. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully we're going in the right direction health wise and pandemic wise uh, to maybe, you know, get out 
you know, to venues um, and, and be able to be more active with Showbox, you know, as, as a standalone basis. Um, but yes, I mean, the short answer, that's a really long answer to, uh, <laughs> that didn't really answer the question. The direct answer is, um, yes, we, we are looking to do that, whether we'll add one in May uh, on that or not, but we certainly will be adding them in the near future. Okay. So, but, so the, the schedule is certainly packed. You've got basically two championship boxing or pay-per-view cards a month, plus show boxes to, to be added. Um, there are, there, there are some of your competitors out there putting together some fairly strong schedules of their own. I'm wondering how much that's driving you to want to make a statement that Showtime is the number one place to go for, for live combat sports, adding the Bellator, having this packed schedule. I'm kind of reminded of like how the rise of WCW was good for WWE, forcing them to up right. their game. Is, is that something that's kind of going on behind the scenes a little? Well, it's it sort of, um, it's, it, it's funny. It's sort of the, the Showtime brand has, has almost gone full circle, uh, because we went and, and I've, I've been, you know, at Showtime nine years and it's sort of, uh, you know, when we started, you know, obviously, uh, HBO boxing was sort of the, the, the primary brand and we sort of chipped away and chipped away and got to the point where we were certainly perceived on the same level. Um, and then at a certain point, I think doing higher quality and, 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 and bigger volume than they were doing. And then we went from sort of the, the scrappy upstart challenger to sort of the, uh, the leading, uh, the, the leading brand in the market. And then you've got other platforms that come back in to the sport, whether it's the zone or ESPN and people are sort of, you know, attracted to the new thing. And it, it's sort of, um, we went from the scrappy upstart to all of a sudden being, well, you know, they're the the established old brand with these new competitors. So I think part of it is to remind people, yeah, um, sure, there are people out there spending money and, and doing stuff like we saw last night with Triller. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, the breadth and depth and the expertise and the presentation of combat sports, um, you know, we're still here. We've got a long history and we do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think this is not to say we have all the good fights. There are certainly good fights going on um, other places. But this is just a reminder, like, hey, you know, we're, we're still here. You know, we're not going anywhere. We've been here for 35 years and we are as committed as ever to uh, to both boxing and MMA. Right. So so you aren't dropping out of boxing as has been reported every couple of months since uh, <laughs> for the last several You're right. years. You're right. Like yeah, that that's a uh, that's a, a secondary personal motive, you know, since, uh, <laughs> I've been getting I've been getting fired I think every you know 12 months, you know, and and I think Showtime has been leaving the business for about three years now. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, it, at least at least this will quiet some of those uh, some of those critics for at least six months or so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so you've announced all of these fights, many of which are highly likely to deliver thrills. But one way to be absolutely certain you're showing great fights is to focus on classic fights that have already taken place, featuring the likes of Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Tommy Hearns. So could you take us behind the scenes a little bit on how the Kings came together and how it landed on Showtime? Well, you know, it's a, um, it's a, a project um, or, or a film that 
has been pitched uh, a variety of different times. Um, you know, and in, in some ways, it's sort of surprising that someone hadn't done it already. And we got a pitch, uh, and I think it was roughly 2000, to roughly 2018, early 2018, um, from a, a British company that is, is well known for both primarily non-sports, but some sports stocks. They've done the, the Amy Winehouse stock, mm-hmm. uh, Amy, as well as uh, one on uh, Ayrton Senna, the, the form of the one driver called Senna. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with their work. And um, I was intrigued because they had a very interesting take on it and, and a very distinctive style. But to be honest, I was a little bit nervous, you know, as we all are, um, you know, it is, it is difficult for novices to come in and immediately get credibility in our sport. And, right. and that is, you know, we have high standards and we're, we're tough critics. So at the same time, I was a little bit nervous about going with filmmakers who, you know, didn't really, who were certainly fans of the sport and, and enthusiastic about the subject matter, but hadn't had experience with it. That's, in some sense, that's the role we fill is some of the institutional knowledge and, and things like that. And what we um, ended up with is a very um, interesting take on this. Um, and it's not just a boxing story. It's a story of, of sort of why did these guys become the stars that they were at the times that they did? Um, so it's a look at what's going on in pop culture, in politics, um, you know, what's going on in boxing, what's going on in, you know, in, in international uh, politics and culture that allowed these guys to ascend to a point where they were really dominating pop culture. I mean, they were, these were the biggest events in sports and they were among the biggest stars in all of sports. So I think both the hardcore fan and the casual fan is going to be uh, entertained uh, by this. And I, I think there's, there's also an element of interweaving in the cultural uh, things that were going on. You know, for example, you, you say eighties um, to anyone, you know, and it's wall street and Reagan and Oliver North and Noriega and Iran Contra. Well, once you start bringing up Panama and Noriega, well, you know, there all of a sudden you're bringing in, you know, Roberto Duran, um, who is closely linked with Manuel Noriega. You start to talk about, Reagan and Reaganomics, you talk about um, a lot of the decay of the inner cities, uh, cities like Detroit, you know, where obviously the Quant the Gym and Tommy Herms were based. So it is, um, I think it is not just a boxing story. It's the story of these four guys um, and, and why they became who they became. I, I can't wait. Um, but I, I don't know if there are certain things uh, that you can and can't or don't want to reveal ab- about the docu-series. Um, but uh, if you can say, were all of the fighters interviewed for it, including Hagler before he passed away recently? Yeah, there's, you know, these guys have a, a, a very particular take. Um, if you've seen Senna or, um, or Amy or, or even the, uh, the Maradona uh, mm-hmm. documentary that HBO bought, it was all from them. And, what they do is they uh, are very immersive in terms of the time. So uh, they rely a lot on archive 
And in fact, in the documentary, you do not see any of the guys in their current time. Hmm. Okay. Like you, so there's, there's, um, you know, anything they did with the, the guys, you know, now was audio only okay. because uh, again, it is, it's a conscious decision that they want you immersed in this particular era and seeing look the guys have held up. Well, like, you know, Marvin Hagler, you know, looked pretty much the same again now as he did in the eighties for some incredible reason. Um, <laughs> right. you know, same for sugar Ray. Um, he's very instantly recognizable, but the theory is it does take away from, you know, the, the, the version of these guys as sort of the epic stars that they were to sort of see them, you know, as older and aged and, you know, mm. not the, the superheroes that they were. Right. So they, he did talk to each of the guys and dug up a lot of archive that had not been seen before. And, but, but the interesting thing, and, and I'm not sure it's done so well, I'm not so sure that you would actually notice um, watching it. It's not like you watch the, the four hours and then come out of it and say, well, wait a minute, I didn't see any of the guys present day. Um, mm-hmm. It feels very natural, but if you're paying attention, you'll realize everything is sort of immersive. You are in that time and only that time. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. So that being the case, then I'm assuming perhaps the pandemic didn't really affect production, that it was on the sort of timeline that you were hoping for and you'd always hoped to have it coming out in 2021? Well, you know, one thing, uh, if you had asked asked us back in 2018, uh, I don't think we would have said it would have been a 2021 project. Um, Part of that was, uh, was, in fact, the pandemic. It did slow it down. Um, particularly since the filmmakers are UK based and UK was hard hit and had a lot of travel uh, restrictions. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is, uh, and we found out, you know, this out um, very early in the project, all of those rivalries and insults and slights, which existed back then have not gone away today. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, obviously King and Aram, um, you know, still have their rivalry, you know, to this day. Um, there are certain uh, resentments that, that Marvin Hagler had uh, primarily against uh, Sugar Ray, um, you know, and for good reason, if I can inject yeah. personal reason. Um, there, all of those things, um, you know, played into that and, and getting, you know, the guys to, to play ball with this thing was not, was not easy, you know, largely because all of those same dynamics are in place. And it, it may be 35 years ago, uh, but to these guys, um, all that stuff was is like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we actually were talking about a clip from uh, Mike Tyson's podcast last week where, where Ray was just goading Tommy Hearns as viciously as he would have done back in 1980. It was, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, these guys, like it's all those things, um, all those things are, are still as, as sort of um, painful and resentful as, as they were back then. Right. All right. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to on uh, on Showtime in terms of boxing as, as well as MMA. It's always great to talk to you, Stephen. Thanks for running 
through all of this with us. And congratulations again on avoiding being fired yet again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's all I try to do each day when I get up, is avoid being <laughs> Me fired too. that day. Me too. That's my <laughs> yeah, goal. You're right. All right. <laughs> Thanks all right, very much. Guys. Thanks a lot, Stephen. All right, let's continue on with the news segment. Uh, and clearly the Showtime schedule is the main event of the Boxing Newsweek. But there's also a lot of undercard action to discuss. And there are three separate items to touch on pertaining to heavyweight fights. Uh, first, you predicted last week, Karen, that we'd probably have Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua finalized by this week's podcast. Well, not quite, but there was movement. The fighters have reportedly approved a site offer. Uh, all indications are that it's the dreaded but expected Saudi Arabia. Mm. And promoter Eddie Hearn is talking about the fight happening in the summer with a theoretical rematch around the end of the year. Another British heavyweight, Daniel Dubois, is set for his first fight back since his upset stoppage loss to Joe Joyce. He meets Bogdan Dinu on June 5th. Uh, and this next piece of news broke just after we finished recording our podcast last Sunday. What a shame. We would have loved to have covered it. Uh, Evander Holyfield is fighting Kevin McBride on June 5th on the undercard of Teofimo Lopez, George Cambosos. It's a six-rounder. There are conflicting reports about whether it's an exhibition, but Whatever the case, I think Triller is about to learn something about the difference between Mike Tyson as an enduring attraction (laughs) and everybody else from that generation. Uh, Kieran, thoughts on any of this heavyweight news? You know, the one one of the things that leaves out here um, is that the alphabet bodies, once again, doing their best to devalue the sport to such an extent to make everything just meaningless. Yes, if it's a boxing bout, it must be for a title. You get a title. You get a title. Everybody gets a title. Uh, I refer to the fact that Dubois off a loss and Dinu who's Dinu are officially <laughs> fighting for an interim world title. Ugh. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I have nothing else to say about that. I'll just let that speak for itself. I am going to try and pretend that Holyfield McBride isn't <laughs> happening. <laughs> I, yes. That's uh, yeah. Okay. Good work. Guys. <laughs> Good work. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. And, and we'll wait and see on the uh, Joshua Fury announcement. So anyway, um, a few. Other, I hope that was okay in terms of commentary. I mean, I really honestly, none really. none of it deserved much more attention yeah. than what you just gave. Okay. That's fine. All right. Okay. A few other noteworthy items. Uh, Clarissa Shields has scheduled her MMA debut. It will be June 10th in Atlantic City against Brittany Elkin, who has an MMA record of three and six. Also announced Ryan Garcia versus Javier Fortuna, now official for July 9th. Uh, two fights removed from the schedule. Jami Monguia was supposed to fight late sub Demetrius Ballard this coming weekend. But Ballard, who himself was a replacement for the injured Machet himself suffered an injury. So that whole card is off. Monguia is now expected to fight June 19th. Uh, quite possibly, depending on who you believe, back against Suleski, or perhaps against Ballard or Suleski, whichever, whoever happens to be ready first. Um, the Nevada State Athletic Commission did not approve Jose Cepeda's planned May opponent, Pedro Campa. So Cepeda is looking for someone new to fight. Uh, how about you? You got any uh, any better commentary than I offered on, on that segment? <laughs> I, I, I hope it's better. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's, it, it will at least be a little more expansive. Um, I'll okay. say that. I, I'll probably watch the Clarissa Shields fight. Um, I don't watch much MMA. I am kind of curious to see how she's going to look. I'm guessing Elkin was carefully scouted as a safe opponent to debut against, but still, Shields is in a whole new sport. Elkin has beaten three opponents, 
can't be totally safe. Um, Garcia Fortuna is solid, although Fortuna is maybe a half step backward from Luke Campbell. Um, but that's the way it goes. You take a sizable step up, as Garcia did against Campbell. You can't just keep stepping up and up and up every fight. You take a few lateral-ish steps along the way. But the most interesting news among these is the Zapata Campa news. I am baffled by this. Yeah. I haven't seen any sort of good explanation of the Nevada Commission's decision, just that they deemed Campa unsuitable for Zapata. Uh, yes, Campa has faced mostly club fighters in Mexico. He would have been a clear underdog versus Chon Zapata, but he's a record of 32-1-1. One one. He's been active. He's not fighting out of his weight class. I can't for the life of me figure out mm. what's worse about this match than 90% of the other fights that get made and approved every week in boxing. Um, the Nevada Commission ain't what it used to be back when Mark Ratner was in charge. Yep. Uh, we were critical of them several years ago when they wouldn't let Triple G fight Jaime Munguia. They had that absolute embarrassment with the replay delay in one of the MGM bubble mm. fights several months ago. I don't know what Bob Bennett is doing there. I, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm all for preventing dangerous mismatches, but this is just throwing darts to decide what not to allow. Uh, unless there's something they're not saying about Kampa and his health or something. But if that's the case, disclose that so other commissions right. know he's compromised. But I, I don't think that's what's going on here. From the reporting and quotes I've read, it just seems they've decided Kampa isn't good enough for Zapata and... That makes no sense to me. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, the Nevada Commission's decision may be hard to justify, but our picks for Tweet of the Week are always very carefully calculated. We always get it right and give you the best tweet of the Boxing Week. It's my turn to pick, and I'm going with a series of tweets from one person all about the same subject. Uh, Jim Cunningham is a podcast producer. He's the producer for Cousin Sal Iacono's Extra Points Podcast Network, basically sports betting-related podcasts. But Cunningham is a funny guy. He occasionally chimes in on those shows, and he often cracks me up. And he was apparently watching the Triller Fight Club broadcast on Saturday night and unleashed a torrent of snark and sarcasm. Uh, here are some of the highlights in the order in which he tweeted them as the night wore on. I hope Larry Merchant is watching this. Uh, you know it might be too much music when you think to yourself, thank God Jake Paul is back on the screen. <laughs> the Source Awards had more fights and less music than this. Oh. <laughs> um in Oscar's defense, I'm drinking till I forget this, too. Uh, now, it's my understanding from reading Twitter that, uh, not to make light of such things, but Oscar did not appear overly sober during this uh, broadcast, okay. apparently. Uh, two more here. Maybe bringing back sports was a bad idea. <laughs> and lastly, starting to appreciate 2020. Uh, Kieran, uh, I know that, that you, like me, did not order this card. Uh, and after catching up via Twitter, I have zero regrets. How about you? Oh, man, I have zero. I have lots of regrets about never having watched anything with, with, with Jim Cunningham before. <laughs> like, obviously, he's the guy to invite around and share some beers with and watch something with. Yeah. No, that sounds actually probably far more entertaining uh, than, than watching the actual broadcast, from what I can tell. Yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, you know what? As long as we are talking about whatever that trailer show was, um, let's talk about this past weekend's fights. Uh, 
Nothing really major to discuss, uh, but a few noteworthy results. Uh, on zone, Demetrius Andre did what Demetrius Andre does against a very tough and game, but outclassed Liam Williams. Andre scored a knockdown in the second round, showed off his elite talent, but ultimately settled in for a lopsided unanimous decision win. Scores of 116-111 and 118-109 twice. Uh, on Fox, in his first fight back since the death of his father, Tony Harrison looked a little flat, frankly, and opponent Brian Perella exceeded expectations. The result was a 12-round draw with scores of 117-111 for Perella, 116-112 for Harrison, and 114-114. And on that undercard, uh, prospect Vito Malnicki Jr. suffered his first loss. He falls to 8-1 and one after losing in an upset to now 7-2 and two, James Martin, who outboxed and outworked him uh, to come away with that majority decision. Um, on the aforementioned thriller card, he says with a bit of a deep breath, uh, <laughs> in the nominal main event, uh, Jake Paul advanced to 3-0 as a boxer with a first-round knockout of retired MMA fighter Ben Askren, uh, while in a more legit boxing match, uh, Regis Progre dominated Ivan Redcat and won by six-round technical decision when Redcat couldn't continue after what the referee ruled to be an accidental low blow, although replay showed it was a clean body shot. It actually should have been a knockout win for Progre. Um, Eric, I'm sure you have a lot of technical analysis to offer on the Jake Paul fight. So perhaps you want to deal with all of that in detail first. Um, <laughs> but do give us that. Anything else you want to say about that the past weekend's fights? I, I actually do have one bit of analysis on okay. the Jake Paul fight from having watched just a replay of the knockout. Someone needs to teach him how to go to the neutral corner after a knockdown. Yeah. He bought Askren about 10 extra seconds of recovery time by trying to pounce on him like in the old Jack Dempsey clips. Um, not not that it made any difference, of course. Askren was done and the fight did not continue. Um, Jake Paul punches well enough that he'll continue to do okay for as long as they can keep him away from professional boxers. Um, I also only watched the very end of the pro gray fight and uh, yeah, no doubt that was a knockout. The ref was on the wrong side and he bought what red catch was selling. Uh, Harrison Perella. I didn't score the fight did watch the whole thing, but I wasn't keeping track round by round. A draw seemed reasonable and Perella boxed well, this wasn't entirely about Harrison performing poorly, although that was certainly part of it. Uh, per- Perella, you know, was was a tricky opponent and and brought I, whatever his version of an A game was. That's that's the best I've seen from him. But Tony has been inconsistent his whole career. Yeah. T- talented fighter, you never know what you're going to get with him. Um, as for the Andrade fight, for me, this spoke to the power of betting on a sporting event. I had money on Andrade because the <laughs> odds for this fight were shockingly close. It's like the bookmakers missed Andrade winning wide decisions over a dozen other Liam Williamses before this. Um, and so I bet on Andrade and I was glued to the television and found the fight entertaining because I was invested in the outcome. There's a tendency to be disappointed that Andrade once again failed to knock out an overmatched opponent, but... Williams was tough as hell. He kept coming. He remained dangerous. I can't be too critical of Andrade's performance, but he did nothing to change the calculus for guys like Canelo or Triple G to fight him. Um, and by the way, I, I think Canelo knocks him out if they fight. Oh, God. Um, but I doubt they'll fight. There's, there's just not much in it for Canelo. It, it's crazy that Andrade is a U.S. Olympian who's undefeated 13 years into his pro career And this is the level he's at, you know, based on that description, undefeated U.S. Olympian for 13 years as a pro, 
sounds like he should be a pay-per-view superstar, but he's still a long way from that. But but he is a damn good fighter, and he delivered against Liam Williams. Yeah, I mean, by his standards, it was a bit of an entertaining fight. But that was all because of Williams, I think, in that mm-hmm. he, A, came forward. He was an aggressive fighter without the skills to back up his aggression. And so that forced Andre to sort of do deploy everything in his in his tool toolbox um without ever really being a, like in any great danger um it's just and it's funny you say i that not only the canelo and triple g will have no interest in fighting to him and it's also the the guys just below them while they still have the opportunity to fight particularly canelo the jamals of the world um they're not going to bother with Andrade either it, it's um it was interesting to hear Stephen say given all the, the the trash talk there was afterwards from Eddie Hearn and whatever about let's do a Jamal fight I can't mm-hmm. believe that he's that he's fighting this guy that Stephen just said well we reached out to the guy yep <laughs> and we we you know we tried to get him um so yeah it's it's inter- it's a pity like he's a very likable guy Demetrius Andrade and he's a very good interview and he's clearly very talented but the nature of just the way that he fights and the way he's, he's, he's done his career, it's, it's difficult to see him getting out of this sort of, one doesn't want to say rut because he's fighting, you know, world title fights or whatever. But, but that position that he's in, it's difficult to see him really elevating until he starts slowing down, I think. Exactly. Um, that's, that, that's kind of what I'm wondering, if he's going to finally get the big fight once he's yeah. not, an, not an elite fighter anymore. Yeah. And, and as for the, the other thing... Um, I think you and I probably trained harder than Ben Askren did <laughs> over the last two months. When I saw mm-hmm. him at that way, and I'm like, man, that's just, you know, I guess if you're a retired MMA fighter and you're being given like half a million dollars to, yeah. to show up against this guy, eh, screw it. I, uh, and also, I love Freddie Roach. You love Freddie Roach. We've joked in the past about being suckered by listening to Freddie Roach. It is time to retire the Freddie Roach pumping up a fighter quote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he said, I, forget, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of, because Askren spent like two days at Wildcard or whatever. Freddie saying something to the effect of, oh, Askren, like, he trains as hard and has as much stamina as any guy I've ever seen. And I really don't think that the man who trained Manny Pacquiao and Miguel Cotto <laughs> and had Bernard Hopkins in his gym believed right. a word of that. When he said it, um, if indeed he said it and Fred Sternberg didn't say it for him. But Freddie, we love you. But, dude, it's got to stop. Yeah, that, that, that could not be even close to the best shape he's seen somebody <laughs> in. I mean, that was he had a Raskin and Mulvaney-esque dad bod, except he's supposed to be somewhat of a professional athlete. And he's yeah. 10 years younger than me, more than 10 years younger than you. Yeah. Uh, we, we have excuses for our physiques, I would like to think. Uh yeah, Ben Askren. I'm not, not sure quite what so those much. excuses are, but yes, we do. <laughs> more more valid excuses than a 36-year-old guy who was a pro athlete not too long ago. All right, uh, there's not a whole lot in the way of big-time in-ring action this coming week either. Uh, on Thursday night, there's a Ring City USA card from West Point, New York, headlined by heavyweight Jermaine Franklin, who we've seen and been underwhelmed by on Showtime. He's taking on Stefan Shaw. And in Kiss of My Ass, Florida, Emmanuel Navarrete meets Christopher Diaz, and Edgar Berlanga tries to keep the KO1 streak going against Damon Nicholson. Anything worth commenting on there, Kieran? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that Jermaine Franklin's getting another 
TV main event opportunity. Um, I guess it shows how desperate we are collectively to believe in young undefeated heavyweights. Yeah. Um, but he does need to start demonstrating like a real commitment to conditioning uh, uh, and that he's deserving of future chances. I think he's got to be running out of, of chances here. Um, I think Diaz is a good, solid opponent for Navarrete, although I would make Navarrete a fairly big favorite. Um, and I actually like Nicholson as an opponent for Berlanger at this stage. Um, he has been stopped before, uh, but it took Jesse Hart seven rounds to do it a few years back. So if Berlanger is able to blast him out Again, I think that will say a lot more about uh, Edgar Belanga than even some of his previous uh, KO ones have done. Um, so I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to that card, actually. Okay. All right. Let's conclude the show with the top five list. Uh, last week, I tasked Eric with creating a list of his all-time top five personal dream fights that didn't happen, with a stipulation that they had to be theoretically possible. Uh, no matching fighters from different eras or heavyweights against lightweights. Uh, I did tell him that there would be no wrong answers. Uh, let's see if he screwed it up so badly that I have to retract <laughs> that. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, when you're ready, what is your countdown? What are the fights that you wish had happened? All right, th- this one was both easy and difficult uh easy Mm. because i really could just lean on my own personal opinions and preferences difficult because there's still a lot to choose from um you're not going to believe this kieran but over the course of boxing history a fair few good fights (laughs) have failed to be made um ultimately i whittled it down to six that really stood out to me and then had to make a tough cut for for one and and put the others in order They're all from my lifetime or thereabouts. Uh, I have a few golden oldies in the honorable mention bin, but uh, but not in the top five. So anyway, let's get to my list. At number five, my list is somewhat heavy on heavyweights. uh, And here's one featuring two of the biggest stars and biggest punchers in the history of the sport. It was talked about seriously in the early 90s. There was at least one Ring magazine cover dedicated to hyping up the possibility of it. But it didn't happen. It's Mike Tyson versus George Foreman. Um, Before Tyson lost to Douglas, it would have been viewed, I think, as a sick circus sideshow mismatch. Uh, But after that, around 91, 92, once Tyson was no longer seen as invincible and Big George had proven against Holyfield that he could compete with the best in the world, this fight would have been massive and truly fascinating. Uh, Mike had... Lots of athletic advantages over Foreman in his mid-20s versus George's early 40s. But I think a lot of mental advantages were held by Foreman. I I truly have no idea how this fight plays out. And it's one of the biggest events in boxing history if it happens. Now, now maybe we avoided tragedy. Uh, Like if Tyson lands his best punch on a 40-something-year-old man, uh, that could be scary. But but more likely, I, I think we missed out on a special fight. Yeah, my God, that would have been such an immense uh, event that would mm-hmm. talk about crossing over into the mainstream, you know, for better or for worse. And and you're right. It was that brief window where it wouldn't have been necessarily sick and disgusting. Um, and it would have been intriguing because if Mike hadn't gotten him out of there in the first couple rounds, then what happens? Um, especially after, like you said, Georgia got rid of Michael Moore. Yeah, that would have been huge in in so many ways i didn't have it on my list but yeah and, I, and it was actually talked about wasn't it there yeah. was like you said it wasn't just putting it on the ring like i i feel there were actual discussions about it yeah i i believe there were i don't think it ever like got super close to happening but right. it was definitely being discussed yeah yeah 
Yeah. All right. Uh, at number four, Sugar Ray Leonard fought everybody, anyone really wanted him to fight during his era, except maybe one guy, Aaron Pryor. Um, they were one weight class apart in the early 80s during Pryor's brief peak and before Leonard temporarily retired due to the detached retina. It could have been made. It would have made a lot of sense and a lot of dollars. Uh, and maybe more than any other fight on this list, we can be fairly confident as to who would have won. I, I think Leonard is a clear favorite there, but Pryor would have pushed him. It would have been mm-hmm. tremendously entertaining. And we didn't get a whole lot of measuring stick fights during Pryor's career. He really only had a handful of big ones. This would have been a great one for him. Oh, 100%. I This is very high on my list. Okay. And I get kind of giddy just thinking about it, to be <laughs> honest. And it, and it does feel like this was one of those that got away for, for whatever reason, because it was eminently makeable. And I don't know whether one or other of the guys just didn't fancy it uh, and then moved on to other things. But what a clash of styles this would have been. And, you know, like given that Duran was able to hustle Leonard mm-hmm. to an L in their first fight, you could imagine that Pryor would have, to some extent, tried to take something from that copybook and, and try to do something similar there, too. That uh, uh, would have been a fantastic fight. I would have loved to have seen that fight. Yep. Alas, it exists only in our dreams, Karen. Indeed. Indeed. Um, my number three. Uh, now we're moving into the era during which I was covering fights. And this one, there was no enormous clamor for it at the time. But in retrospect, it's the great fight we missed out on. Juan Manuel Marquez versus Eric Morales, the yeah. only matchup missing from the Pacquiao-Brera-Morales-Marquez yeah. rivalry, probably somewhere between 2002 and 2005, I think, is the sweet spot for this. I think looking back, you'd say Marquez would be a slight favorite, but only slight. Uh, and and if I'm wrong about that, if Morales beats Marquez, I think it shakes up the order in which people now tend to rank these guys. Um, and it's just a can't-miss fight. Whether you like elite skill or sensational action, the fact is you're getting both of them round after round between these yeah. two. So that's my number three. Yeah, no disagreement there. Also on my list, it's it's odd that all these guys fought each other except those two. And yeah, it would have been a fantastic matchup. Totally agree with you there. Okay. Um, I'm cheating just a tiny bit with my number two pick in that it's a fight that did happen. Um, I thought about messaging you during the week to see if it qualified anyway or not, um, but I didn't want to spoil anything about my list. And I feel fairly confident you would have agreed with me that it qualifies. The fight is circa 2003, when it was briefly being seriously discussed. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. The fact that it happened as an exhibition 17 years later, that that doesn't disqualify it, right? No, I have it on my list. Okay, good. Okay. So, yeah. So at the time you had Jones coming off the win over John Ruiz, proving he could beat certain top heavyweights. uh, And Tyson badly faded, but he did score a KO1 over Clifford Etienne that year. He still had the punch. He still had a little something left. Just an all-time... I don't know what the hell would have happened, and I'd have been fascinated to see it kind of fight. Roy walking that tightrope, using his speed, trying not to get caught, and man, would it have moved pay-per-views. And um, by the way, what if it happens and Roy wins, 
and he never drops back down to light heavyweight. Yeah. He might retire with an argument that he was the greatest boxer in history, or at least like one B to to Sugar Ray Robinson. Uh, So yeah, the window for this fight was brief, but damn, do I wish it had happened. One hundred percent. And and I remember thinking that very same thing. uh, That yes, it's he could have. I think in the same way that we've talked about this before, and I've gotten the quote wrong before, and you'll correct me before that. You know, had Mike Tyson walked out into the street and gotten hit by a bus after knocking out Michael Spinks, he, right. he would have been like the perceived as the best heavyweight ever. Had Roy done this, had he pulled it off, yeah, I, I mean, I understand why he was highly reticent to do it. Right. But at that time, yeah, again, you just got to get through those first couple rounds with Mike, and then that would have been intriguing. Oh my goodness, what a fight that would have been. Yeah. Yeah, and what we saw in 2020 didn't. Tell us a whole hell of a lot about what would have happened in 2003. Yeah. All right. Uh, At number one, I kind of surprised myself by ultimately putting this fight at the top. Um, I asked you last week whether rematches that didn't happen to fights that did happen counted, and you said yes. And I considered a few rematches for placement on this list. Uh, Leonard Hagler 2, Douglas Tyson 2, a little further down the list, Trinidad de la Hoya 2. But the one I really wish had happened above all others, not just above all other dream rematches, but above all other dream fights, was a rematch to the Rumble in the Jungle. Ali versus Uh Foreman 2. We'll just never know whether that result could be repeated or whether it was the perfect storm for Ali to pull off a one-time-only trick. Um, Looking back at the timing, we're probably talking... 1976, after Foreman has gotten himself back on track by winning the war with Ron Lyle and then knocking out Joe Frazier again. And Ali is fading post-thrilling in Manila, but still the champ. Um, Does Ali's mental strength win it again? Uh, Does Foreman fight a totally different fight the second time around? Does it make a difference that Ali has lost a step since their first fight? I really think you can make an incredibly strong argument for either side uh, of which way this one plays out. Heavyweight history could be completely different if this rematch happens. Like if Foreman wins and regains the title, obviously his career and life play out totally differently. Maybe Ali's career ends earlier if he loses, uh, but at the same time, maybe he isn't as universally regarded as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Some serious sliding doors here, uh, but I just find the fight itself, how it, might have played out in the ring as fascinating as any fight that could have been made in history. So this is my number one. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, it's interesting. I considered it and then discarded it. And I think in my head, because I was thinking, well, Ali so obviously wrecked George mentally that um, that I thought, oh, well, maybe there wouldn't be that much intrigue. But when you lay it out the way that you just did with, you know, all the various sliding doors options. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that is intriguing. I hadn't put it down. Like I said, I thought about it and didn't. But no, that's given what it might have meant for a heavyweight history one way or the other. Like if George loses again, he's probably not ever coming back. Right. Yeah, there's, a, there's a good chance. You're right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, no, very intriguing. Yeah, I, I did not put that one down, but no, that's a good one. Okay. What else you got for honorable mentions? Anything? Yeah. uh, So the number six, the one that just missed the cut, and I'm sure it's in a lot of people's top fives, is Lennox Lewis versus Riddick Bowe. I left it out because 
their respective primes as pros didn't quite overlap. Agreed. Yeah, that the Lennox didn't reach the peak of his powers until after Bo had suddenly hit the wall. Uh, my others, uh, Klitschko versus Klitschko. Uh, you know, it, it was never oh, going yeah. to happen. Uh, it was never realistic. So maybe it doesn't qualify for this in a sense. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't wish that it happened. Um, <laughs> uh, going way back in history, how about uh, Jake LaMotta versus Rocky Graziano uh, or Jack Dempsey undrawing the color line and giving Harry Wills a shot? Those are some, mm. some dream matches from long before I was around. Um, I wish Ricardo Lopez had moved up three pounds and faced either yeah. Michael Carbajal or Chiquita Gonzalez. That's a great one. And then I have three from the past decade or so. Uh, Sergio Martinez defending the middleweight title against emerging threat Gennady Golovkin. Yep. Um, an all-Argentina showdown between Marcos Maidana and Lucas Matisse, uh, who did spar and who fought as amateurs, but never met in the ring as pros. Um, and lastly, the ultimate Brian Campbell sloppy Super Bowl. Uh, about five to seven years ago, before they were totally washed, when they were simply two of the most entertaining and flawed fighters around, Victor Ortiz versus Amir Khan. Come on, how fun oh, would that have been? Goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Twelve knockdowns. <laughs> and that's and then and then well, on to round two. Round. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, those are great ones. Uh yes. Uh I definitely had a couple. Okay. Um a couple others that I, when you said this was a fight that actually happened, but I wanted it anyway, I thought you were going to talk about the Ocean's Eleven fight oh. between Vladimir Klitschko, which would have been, a, you know, I still don't know how that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, the sort of the flip. I side. think I think Corey Sanders and uh, Lehman Brewster ah, had yes. a little something to do with that not happening. Yeah. Um, the flip side to Leonard Pryor would have been Duran Arguello. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That might. That might have been, especially with that whole Panama versus Nicaragua thing. That would have been uh, interesting. Two, another George Foreman one. Amazingly, I mean, that whole era, they, again, rather like the the Morales, Marquez, Barrera uh, situation, they all fought each other except this one matchup. Somehow, and I had to double check to make sure it didn't happen, Ernie Shavers and George Foreman didn't fight. Hmm, um, right. Those two launching bombs at each other's chins <laughs> good uh -huh. lord that would have been fun um i was always intrigued by the idea of what would happen if floyd mayweather fought paul williams yeah i've In always that's just on a personal level but mm -hmm. very intrigued by that physical matchup yeah that that's one that i would say like it doesn't quite crossover into like dream fight oh my god i got to see it but just the word intrigued that yes, yes. tremendously intriguing and maybe he was the guy who had the style to to cause floyd all sorts of problems yeah it's sort of it's almost like a hindsight thing right mm -hmm. when you look back at floyd's career and you're like god was there anybody that he missed who could have really you know challenged him i do think it might have been um, um paul williams uh in addition to the roy jones against mike tyson i also put jones against holyfield because i think that came close mm -hmm. uh af after the 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 john ruiz fight yeah and i wonder if seeing the way that that chris bird fought him for example or james tony he didn't look at that with a, maybe a tinge of regret and think ah oh, maybe i could have done that yeah um and then on a personal level not dream fights but just personal would have been fun partly because it in, involves my my man crush <laughs> any combination of Miguel Cotto, tim bradley and ricky hatton would have worked for me i would have okay. i would have been all right with that that's again not a dream fight but i would have been i would have been pretty happy to watch any of those uh Cotto and hatton 
with both of their fan bases filling up the arena. That's that's a fun scene right there. Especially when they were both in their hook to the body primes. Yeah. That would have that would have been fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's a good list. I like that. That was that was fun. Uh, uh, definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. No, I I like that. Good good assignment. And uh, so uh, I, I'm glad that there were uh, no wrong answers. But even 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 knowing that, I feel like I got all the right answers. So. Yes, <laughs> indeed, exactly. Uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks again to our guest, uh, Stephen Espinosa. We will be back next week. It's another light week on the boxing calendar. Um, one of the last light weeks on the boxing calendar yeah. we're going to have. Um, but I'm sure we will find someone to talk to and plenty to talk about. Plus, Eric will have a new top five list to assign to me. Hopefully a list for which there are no wrong answers. Uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Be safe kind and be well. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.